0: everyone is looking for purpose for a life that matters and we want to be a church that helps people find that this is the collective church podcast from a life-giving and vibrant new church right here in london ontario here's this past week's message from our pastor tyler from Well, good morning. Welcome to Collective Church. My name is Tyler. I'm one of the lead pastors. It is good to have you here. We were online only last week, and so it's good to be back. Our team unloaded that trailer extra quickly, and I don't think it was because of the snow. I think they were just really excited. It also might have been partially because of the snow. It's like it's beginning to feel a lot like Christmas out there. And even in the room, the the German-Canadian club had some Christmas decorations that we left up, that we're going, it feels festive. We're in a new series called Dear Church. And for the next few weeks as we head into Christmas, we want to talk about the vision that I believe God is giving us as a church. As we head into the new year, I don't want us just to limp into the new year. I want us to head into this season and beyond with excitement and passion for what God wants to do in us and through us it's been a weird couple of years hasn't it it's been a weird season for us we're coming up on two years of COVID I don't know if you've noticed (laughs) and COVID's been an interesting one because it's accelerated some things it's, it's accelerated some really good things. For some of us, it's caused us to become more engaged, more passionate, more interested in building our faith and building the church. But for others, it's accelerated dysfunction and division. It's meant that things have sped up for posit- in positive ways and things have sped up in ways that have been less than positive. It's been an interesting season that we have been navigating. And and when I look at what's happening around us, I want to let you know that I believe that this moment, this cultural moment is unique. And it's an invitation for us as the church, local church and broad church. I believe that we're at an inflection point, an inflection point where things seem to be kind of trending this way, where you're going, man, is this just how it's going to be, an inflection point is when things begin to move in a different direction. That's where I believe that we are at as the North American church, the Canadian church. I look at that for us as a local church. I want you to know if you're new to Collective or you don't know me that well, I have a lot of vision. (laughs) If you're around me for any length of time, you know that. One of my longest friends and closest friends, James, I was talking to him one point before he started Collective, and I was like, here's what I'm dreaming of. And he's like, man, I love all of that. I don't know if people are ready for all of it yet. Because there's this degree of going, okay, I want to share some and then see what happens and adjust. But the truth is, I see ahead of where we can go and where we can end up, where, the, where God is leading us. Because the vision that I have is not my vision. I don't go, I want to build my church. I I really want to build God's church. But here's the reality and the harm of vision. See, on one hand, it's good. Because you can look and you can go, look at where we're going. I'm so excited. On the other hand, you can look and go, look at where things are going. I can look around and see the challenges and the places where it's more difficult to follow Jesus and to build His church. And in my moments of unhealth, I'll be completely honest, in moments that I I haven't slept well and spent time with God well and rested well, all those, I, I go and I'm like, wow, it seems to be significant. Like the challenges on the horizon seem to be significant. But I want you to know that most of the time and the thing that drives me forward is I look at everything that's going on around us and I am more hopeful and humbled than ever. Because I recognize that without God's intervention and him moving and him guiding us as we build his church, we've got nothing. But I also look and go, the future of the church is bright. The future of collective is bright. When we planted collective, I wrote this document before we planted collective. I wrote this document where I was wrestling with God through some vision and some components. Like one of the areas is, who do we want to develop? Like, what are the kind of people that we want to develop? And one of the things that I wrote is that I want us as the church, as individuals that are part of this church, to have steel in our spines. Steel in our spines. You don't need steel in your spine when things are good. You don't need steel in your spine when things are easy. You need steel in your spine when there are winds and things blowing you and you have to stay firm and grounded and secure in the midst of challenges. The time for passively showing up to a church, the time for cultural Christianity, consumer Christianity, that's gone. The time for us to show up because it's an obligation or uh, because that's just what people do is gone. The invitation to something so much better is here. This whole idea that we just come and show up to church and we watch other people, that that time is coming to a close. Here's the reality. We are facing an environment as Canadians where it is not going to be easier to follow Jesus. It is going to be more difficult. That's not me trying to make you fearful. It's not me looking going, oh man, it's getting bad. I just go, let's be honest. Let's let's speak reality. It is not getting easier. It is getting more difficult. It is not going to get easier. it is going to get more difficult, and yet, historically that's when the church has thrived. Those are the moments, if you look in history, those are the precise moments that the, the church is thriving in other areas of the world, the church is most thriving, where it is difficult to be a Christian, not where it's easy. Now we can look at all of that and go, "Oh man, I don't like that and there's this selfish part that I get. You go, I don't really like that, but I think God might be more interested in building his church than your personal comfort or my personal comfort. I want, to know, I want you to know, been, I prayed for revival for years. I, I prayed that there would be revival in the church, renewal in the church, that there would be life from things that seemed to be dead, that there would be hope on the horizon. And I'd love to tell you that that prayer for revival has been this burning passion that every single day I'm praying but honestly, it's been more like a check engine light. As I'm going about my day, and I'm doing things, and I'm building, and I'm working, and I'm going, I see, it's like God's reminding me, like, hey, uh, remember how you've been praying for revival? I want that. I want there to be a, a renewal in the church. I want there to be revival, personal and Communal. Revival is when the church experiences this overarching renewal, new life and an infusion of energy. There is this pattern that we see as the church that on the other side of a season of difficulty and challenge is where we find revival. Church, the church thrives in those moments. There's a political scientist, his name is Samuel Huntington, and he calls what we've been experiencing a cultural convulsion, seasons where institutional trust are low, contempt for power is high. Now he's speaking it from a U.S. perspective, but I don't know if you've noticed, but all the U.S. stuff has bled across the border. Borders have been closed. It does not matter with social media and and media and news, all of that. Like it's it's like we become the U.S. baby. Like all that stuff has bled in this cultural convulsion. This uh, institutional trust that's low, this contempt for power, the, the, all the things that we see. And Samuel Huntington says that it happens every 60 years. Every 60 years there seems to be this pattern in North America of this cultural convulsion. So do you know what happened last? The 1960s. The 1960s when there was a significant cultural convulsion. In the late 1960s, there were riots. There were assassinations. There, were, uh, there was a significant time of civil unrest. There was political polarization. And there was division. Does that sound familiar? There, there were all these things. There was civil unrest, political division, all these pieces happening, and it, so much of it sounds exactly like 2020 and 2021. And yet, if we look back to look forward, we see that in the 60s, God was doing something significant in the local church. As a result of this cultural convulsion, there was a a movement that started. It's called the Jesus People Movement. They were looking at all the things that were happening in a counterculture To the culture began to develop. And so in the 60s, you had the hippie movement. And the church actually looked at that and went, We can be countercultural to the counterculture to the culture. We can actually look at this moment where there's political division, civil unrest, all these things going on and thrive. And guess what? As a result of this movement, the Jesus People movement, 20 to 30 million people found Jesus. You know that? 20 to 30 million people found Jesus in the midst of a circumstance that made no sense for the church to thrive. It's the reminder for us. And this gives me hope as I look to the future. Now, just so you know, this Jesus people movement was not perfect. It was filled with a bunch of jacked up people and they were, there's lots of stuff there but the result of it was significant and there are echoes even now these people that came to faith, there are people that are doing significant things and have shaped the North American church out of that movement. I want you to know that in the midst of a cultural conversion, we, convulsion, we can see renewal, that the church can thrive and I believe will thrive. Now one of the pieces of this cultural convulsion is a lack of institutional trust. I I don't I wasn't alive in the 60s. And so, but in my 36 years of life, I can't remember institutional trust being so low. I mean, we don't trust the government. We don't trust organizations, churches. Like, there's an increasing degree of of lack of trust in institutions. Now, we can look at that, and we can mourn it. We can go, oh, man, there's... No one trusts the institution of the church. I want to let you know. I see that, and I go... This is a huge opportunity. I am so hopeful. In As someone who leads a church, who looks at the institutional side of it and goes, yeah, there's some real gifts here. I look at this lack of institutional trust as a gift because here is where the church can finally step up. And not one person on the front who's charismatic, not one person on the stage who can speak or sing, the church individuals who make up the church can finally redeem and restore how people see the church and Christians. With our neighbors, with our friends, with our co-workers, we can do something about it. And so rather than people looking at the institution of the church and going, yeah, I see a bunch of of jacked up people, they get to see our lives they get to watch us and go, oh, if this is what it means to follow Jesus, it's not perfect, but that's different than what I've seen. That's different than what I expect. We have the opportunity to be stepping into moments uniquely right now that could have a tremendous impact on the future of the church. We can be the embodiment of Jesus' people telling a better story to those around us. I believe wholeheartedly that God is calling us, us as Christians, into this moment. If you were here a few weeks ago, uh, you might remember that I was talking a little bit about the early church. And I, I want you to know that's not going to be the last time because I'm, I'm looking back at the early church and going, there's some things here that I think we need to rediscover and learn. But one of the things that I shared that I think is so significant is that in the early church, over 80% of the people that came to faith came to faith because of ordinary people simply explaining their life to those who didn't know Jesus. This is our moment. For too long has it been a few people up on the stage, a couple people getting in the game, and a bunch of people watching them. The time for that is done The opportunity is so great for us to be able to be the church embodied at every level with every friendship and in our workplaces and in our schools. We have a moment here and I do not want to miss it. This moment we're in is where the church can move from an institution that's built around a few to a movement that is designed and moving because of many. We don't get to just sit into this place or we go, you know what, I'll let other people do it. This is our moment to step in and be part of a movement that can change people's lives. I want to read from a passage that you've probably heard if you've been in the church. If you haven't been in the church, you haven't heard it. It's a central one. These are Jesus's words in, written in the book of Matthew, and we call this the Great Commission. Matthew 28, 18 to 20, and I'm reading from the New Living Translation. If you, if you want to pull out your Bibles or your phones, you can, you can read or it's going to be on the screen. It says this, Matthew 28, 18 to 20, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you and be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Let's pray. God, I pray that in these moments that you would speak to us. God, I see all that's going on around. And I just, I just want to be your church. God, for the people that are in the room or the people that are watching online or the people that watch this after, I pray that you would speak to us and challenge us, encourage us that they wouldn't be words of feeling like we're not doing enough, but instead an invitation into a life that matters more than what we've settled for. God, move powerfully. We need you and there are people around us, all around us that desperately need you. Help us to be your church. If you look at this passage, it talks about discipleship. Okay, it's going and making disciples. I don't know if you've grown up in the church or spent any time. When I hear, uh, when I hear the word discipleship, sometimes I get like a nervous tick. Like when someone's like, I just, I just want to go deeper. I just want to go deeper. I just want to be discipled. Now, fundamentally, at a fundamental level, this is not wrong. Okay, it's it's not wrong to go. I want to go deeper. I I want to be discipled. That's not wrong. But what I think is sometimes what I see is incomplete. Then when someone says that, they're not saying I actually want to be a disciple based on what an actual disciple is. They're going. I just want to learn more stuff. Fill my brain with more stuff. I want to experience Jesus on an intellectual level only. And you go. Intellectual is important. Our theology is important. Our orthodoxy is important. But what it has to do always is information has to move from our head to our heart and to our hands. It has to be something that we understand that moves us and changes our affection and causes us to do something about it. Can't just be something that we live in our head. And so when people talk about it, sometimes I think it's an excuse for an action. They're like, you know what? Uh, If I just knew enough, then I would do something. The problem is, when you look at the disciples, is that's not when they acted. They often didn't know what they were doing. And what it caused them to do is they stepped out and they actually responded and then would go back and go, I don't know what I'm doing, I need your help. (laughs) Perfect! Like, what if we read the Bible like that? We went, okay, so it says forgive my enemies. Okay, so I'm going to go forgive my enemies. Then you do it you're like, this is really hard. Are you sure it says that? And you go back to the Bible and go, it seems to say that. I think I probably should do that. And then you go and do it some more. It draws us in. And what does it do? It causes us to be closer and closer to God. It can't just be an intellectual pursuit. I I believe wholeheartedly when we say we want to go deeper, my challenge would be going deeper means more active. means stepping out. Because knowing more isn't enough to change us. I mean, we can know things and they don't actually change how we live. Like, I know that going on my phone first thing is not good, right? We all know that. If you don't know that, now you know that. Going on your phone when you first wake up is not good. And yet, what do I do? I'm like, wonder if I got any notifications. I'll just check a couple things. I'm checking the weather. I'm reading my Bible And then I'm like, suddenly I'm watching videos of cats. And I'm like, how did I end up here? Okay, we can know things. We can know that that's important to not do it. Or like, we know that eating healthy food and exercising is really good. And we can know that intellectually as we're going through the drive-through. Right? Like our knowledge doesn't necessarily transform us. It is a component, but it's not the only piece. As disciples, it's not just about what we know It's about how we let it impact our hearts and cause our hands to move. What if the invitation for us as disciples in going deeper is about actually becoming and making more disciples? That seems to be what Jesus is saying. There's there's an active participation in this. But it begs the question, what's a disciple? In in Jesus' time, a disciple was someone who followed a rabbi. Who was a teacher, a religious leader who would shape and form and would go, Here's what I believe that the Torah or the Old Testament is saying. And they would sit under them and learn from them. And the purpose of being a disciple is to become like their rabbi. They were learners, they were students. And it wasn't students in the perspective that we think of, where you sit in a classroom and there's 30 people and they listen to someone talk. No, this was way more of a one on one experience or a smaller group experience. They had a rabbi. Every disciple had a rabbi. If we follow Jesus, if we're in the room or we're online and we follow Jesus, our rabbi is Jesus. He's our teacher, he's the one that we look at and we follow. And there's this beautiful saying in the, the, early, the early days of the rabbinic tradition where uh, people would say, as, they, as someone was going out to follow a rabbi, they would say this. They would say, may you be covered with the dust of your rabbi. May you be covered with the dust of your rabbi. I want you to think about that for a second. In that day, there were not paved roads and, and like nice, like blundstones or sneakers. That was not a thing. They had dirt roads and sandals. Which like, helps you to understand that whole moment where Jesus washes a disciples' feet where you're like, that's gross. Like, their feet were not clean. But think about it in this way. When a disciple is following the rabbi and you're saying, may the dust of your rabbi cover you. You're going, I'm so close. As the rabbi is walking, I'm right behind him. I'm going, I, I want to be close to you and get your dust on me. I want to smell like you. I want to be with you. I want to be close to you. And you don't get dust on you by staying still. The rabbi doesn't get dust on you by staying still. It's in the movement. It's in the going. It's in the motion. As we're following our rabbi, who is Jesus, we get dust on us. This is what I want for us at Collective. I want us to be covered in the dust of our rabbi. I want us to look so much like Jesus that people see it and wonder why, that people are clearly They're drawn to Jesus at work in us. And so in Matthew, Jesus is, he comes to his disciples. He came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and earth. Now, when Jesus is framing up a statement like this, with this statement, it should cause us to go, this is an important statement. When he's saying all authority from heaven and on earth, I'm telling you this. It should cause us to go. What he's about to say next is really, really important. That it's central for those of us that follow this way of Jesus. And he says, therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations. Notice that word, go. Go. There was and is movement in following Jesus. Notice that it doesn't just say go and uh, just be a disciple. Just be a disciple, just sit where you are, become a really good disciple. It was go. It's important that we understand that there is movement and motion. Jesus is speaking to his disciples and he's speaking to us. And it's almost like 2,000 years later, he understands that human nature is this move towards entropy. Like, we started with following, and we were walking, and we were going, and we were serving, and we were giving, and we were doing, and and then we hit this point where you just go, you know what? Um, It's a little snowy today, so I think I'll stay at home. (laughs) And our neighbor is like, so what do you do on Sunday? You're like, "Uh, I haven't been to church for a long time, so you know what? Watching Netflix... Like we get into this rhythm where this move towards entropy is natural for many of us, where it's easier in some ways to not go, to not follow, to not be covered in the dust of our rabbi. It's important that you know that we are sent to go. That's why I say it every single day, every single service that we have at the end of it. I'm reminding us that we gather together and the gathering is important. We gather, we look around and go, it's not just me. We're in it together. We can learn together. Hopefully we can hear from God's word together. But then, we don't just gather, we are scattered. Like, think about the significance of all the time we have outside of the time that we're together to reach and connect people with Jesus. It's important for us to be reminded that we need to go. This is important for me to be reminded of. I read a passage like this, and it should challenge us, and it challenges me, because our challenge is always to go. It's not to stay. It's not to hunker down. It's not to let fear cause us to just sit still. It's to go. This is why the death of consumer Christianity is a gift. Because for too long, we've settled into this rhythm where we watch other people experience the beauty of following Jesus and impacting people's lives. I mean, even in this scenario, I'm aware that you can watch me and go, well, that sounds nice. Yeah, he's saying like, be a disciple, make disciples, sounds nice. And you can even go, I like that, that sounds good. And then Monday hits and you're like, I changed my mind, changed my mind. It's too hard. I'm afraid. I feel inadequate. It's easier to not do that. It's easier for me just to do my own thing and be compartmentalized and go, "Ah, you know what, God, you can have Sunday between 9 and 10, but after that, I kind of want to do my own thing. It's harder to actually go, I want to go where you want me to go. Here's the thing, that this moment, like preaching like this, is very important. It's important for us. We see the biblical precedent of it. There's this folly of preaching where God can use one jacked-up person unpacking the Bible, and it can impact individuals differently and separately and challenge you and charge you forward. But there's a, a component, a significant one that you hold. It's action, If I say all sorts of great things and you don't do anything with it, if God says all sorts of great things and you don't do anything with it, at some point you should not be surprised when you look and go, I don't seem to be covered by the dust of my rabbi. I want my life to make a difference. Well, what does it look like to actually take what we know and put it into practice? What does it look like when we have moments in a service where you go, I think God's asking me to do this. I feel like maybe God is encouraging me, but I feel afraid and nervous and inadequate. What if in those moments you go, that's how I should feel because God's inviting me into a place I have not been yet that I actually need him. Listen, if God was calling us to things that were easy, we would not need him, and I am more interested in being places where he goes with us. But I do not want you to, when you feel that, I don't want you to go like, oh man, I'm the only one, ye of little faith. No, that's what all of us feel. Every time we're caused, we're, we're encouraged and challenged and to follow Jesus into places that we haven't gone or maybe that are beyond what we've done before or what we feel like we're prepared to do, we feel that. It humbles us. That's good. We, again, get close to the rabbi and get his dust on us because we go, if, if you don't come with me, I, I got Nothing. That has to be our perspective. Jesus' challenge for us is to go. The early church did this. If you look at the early church and how, how did they impact the, the huge millions of people coming to faith, how did the early church do that? They went into each other's homes and they invited people into theirs. Isn't it interesting? Like they actually just got into each other's lives. They, but they didn't just wait for people to come to them. They didn't just say, hey, hey, uh, um, maybe they'll come over at some point. They were like, hey, come over, or we're coming over. We're going to be in your life. We're going to make sure that you know that we are coming to you, that we care about you. Go and make disciples. The early church didn't just talk about doing it and go, yeah, that's a good idea. They actually did it. Go and make. Have you ever noticed that you rarely make something accidentally? Like, say you want to make bread. I like making bread. Every once in a while, we're like, we get this mix from from Bulk Barn that's sourdough mix, because I love sourdough, and so we go to make bread. But do you ever accidentally make bread? I was in the kitchen, I saw some flour, and I don't know, I just grabbed some stuff, and look, bread! I don't know how it happened. It's a miracle. I'm going to guess. That has not happened to you. Why? Because typically if we're going to make something, we need to actually have some sort of strategy, some sort of plan. And for some of us, we go, yeah, I should make disciples. Uh, I don't even know where to start. Jesus actually gives us an, an example. Jesus actually shows us what this looks like to go and make disciples. He modeled this. He invited 12 men to walk with him, to do regular life with him for three years. It wasn't like a six-week six week discipleship course. It was three years of them watching his every day coming and going. And then of those 12, he had three men that he was really close with, that he really let in. Now, I want you to notice, if you're to picture that idea, if The disciples are walking with Jesus for three years, 12 of them every single day. They didn't just see him when he was teaching. They didn't just see him in our language when he was teaching a co-group or leading a co-group. They didn't see him when things were perfect. They didn't see him when he was Instagram-worthy, when he was prepared. They didn't see him when he had gotten enough sleep and, and felt adequate and, and was going, oh, I'm, I'm at my very, very best. And, and they didn't see him in every single moment where he showed this carefully manicured version of himself. They saw him. They saw him. They saw him when he was going to the cross and he was feeling the weight of that so much that he was bleeding out of his sweat they saw him when he, he was saying, I need to get away. And he got away from people because he was peopled out. They saw him in the everyday places of their life. They experienced ex- extraordinary things in the midst of an ordinary and ordinary moments. I think sometimes when we think about discipleship, we have this romantic notion. We have this romantic picture-perfect notion, or like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say, I'm gonna disciple someone, and it's gonna just go really nicely, and well, and it's all gonna be up, and to the right, and I, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna have them over, and we're gonna drink really good coffee, and have the ambiance set well, and it's gonna be so amazing. Here's what I've learned about discipling. It doesn't work like that. It's so much messier, because people are messy. People do not function and grow in like a linear way we don't do that like if you think about your own life you don't go like man it just everything was simple i always did what i was supposed to do and i just kept growing when we disciple people that there's this messiness and if we're hoping for control we will not find it it's not an exercise to it's not about us finding control with people it's something better And in the discipleship strategy of Jesus, we see two things. We see example and invitation. Example and invitation. Example is Jesus actually showed his people how to live this out. And so in our own lives, how do people actually see us living this out? If you think about Jesus, he didn't just talk about caring for the poor. He did it. He spent time with the poor. He didn't just talk about injustice He did something about it. He spent time with people on the margins. He went to places where there was injustice. He didn't just talk about prayer. He did it. Jesus didn't just talk about reaching lost people. He went to where lost people were and helped them to find hope, rescuing them from their spiritual helplessness. There's this modern idolatry that I see where we think that talking about something, posting about something, putting something... Wherever, on social media, or just writing it somewhere as a status update is adequate. Like, we go, that's enough. But what we actually see from Jesus is that is not enough. That saying something is not equal to doing something. That if we actually see something and even say it, we better be sure that our lives are backing it up. Like, we talk culturally, we go, Christians are a bunch of hypocrites. And let's be honest, yeah, sometimes, and so is everyone else. And you want to see hip- like people being hypocrites? You see that. People talk about things and they go, this is so important, but they do nothing about it. Let's, as Christians, do something different. So when we go, hey, you know what? There are actually people that are lost without hope. We do something about it. Hey, there are widows and orphans around us that need something. We do something about it. Let us be the kind of church that actually follows Jesus' example. What Jesus shows us is he models an example. He doesn't just give the disciples information, and we've never had more access to information than we do right now. We have tons of access to information. What we don't have is access to people who will help us to model it and live it out. This is where we come in. This is where discipleship comes in. The world desperately needs our example as we follow Jesus, inviting people to follow us, and not just some nameless group of people, but our neighbors and our friends and our family that discipleship for us requires example and invitation. We can't just live our lives telling people or showing people what it means to follow Jesus. We need to invite them in, into our lives. Now, e- even when I say that, I-, I recognize that some of you are like, okay, so I need to schedule on Monday and Wednesday and Friday a coffee with six people and I don't know how I'm going to do this. Let me just be clear. This is not about scheduling more stuff. This is not about making your life more busy. This is not about adding more stuff and going, if I can just have nice things and nice spaces and invite people into my life when it's convenient, then that's what I want to do. Listen, maybe going out for coffee fits in your rhythm. Great. But what I am suggesting is not about doing other things, but integrating people into your life and faith. Actually inviting people into your every day, into a life that is lived in pursuit of following Jesus, a life that hopefully is covered by the dust of your rabbi. Like the question is, who do you have over for meals? And I'm not talking about nice meals. When you go, I'm going to sous vide a roast for 48 hours and have someone over and it's going to be perfect. Oh, that's great. Who do you have over when you have leftovers? When you're like, what are we eating? Mac and cheese, an old salad, and I think we can make a peanut butter and jam sandwich. Who do you have over when your life does not look perfect? In daily rhythms, we all eat, right? Most of us eat occasionally. What does it look like to not just do that by ourselves in our own little bubble? What does it look like to invite people around? Like in our context, we have kids. If you have kids, you understand that they don't always act like we would like them to act. And often around suppertime is when they're the worst. But what it looked like to invite people in who go, oh, you mean like a healthy marriage can be a normal marriage where you aren't just going, you're the greatest, honey. But where sometimes you're frustrated with each other. Or parenting, where you love your kids and also sometimes you wish that they choke on those peas. Like, like, what does it look like, honestly, in a world where, that is so considered with carefully manicured visions of our life and going, look how perfect I am. What if we as Christians went, hey, let me show you a real life and let me invite you in. Who do you take to run errands with you? Like, we're doing errands all the time, right? We're running. Who do you go, hey, do you want to just come with me? And while I'm doing things, you can actually, we can talk and share and look at what it looks like to live your life. That was... Our experience in youth ministry, when we were in Calgary, we had people, Lee Lee was talking to one uh, who was with Lee right after she gave birth to uh, our daughter Ava, and like our house was a mess, and I think she had to do some things, and she brought her along, and that was the memory that stuck with her. It wasn't when she came over for some perfect thing or when we established some night or youth event, it was in the everyday messiness of life. So who are you inviting into that? Who are you inviting into your projects around the house, your hobbies that you have? What does it look like for us to not just see those as things, I need me time, but instead to go, what would it look like to invite other people to be part of my life, to see what it actually looks like to be a disciple of Jesus? It requires example and invitation. I have this in my own life with my grandpa. He was not perfect, let me be very clear. He had lots of things that you're like, ooh. But he represented Jesus. He was an example, and he invited me. In the everyday life, he showed me this is what it looks like to actually follow Jesus, and it had a profound effect on me. When I dream of collective church, when I dream of where we could go, I see this beautiful church of disciples actually making disciples. Not just a couple of us, All of us being responsible for making disciples who make disciples, for going and making disciples with example and invitation. And as a result of that, our ability to reach people and to plant more churches and reach, plant more campuses and think about how do we engage our city and beyond. I believe that this cultural moment that we find ourselves in is a turning point for our ownership in the future of the church. And that's not just about programs, that's in the every single day where we get to be the church. And here's my commitment to you. I'm not saying that as someone going, you should do that. Hey, that'd be a good thing for you to do. I'm doing that and we'll do that and we'll continue to do that. I want to challenge you, will you come with me as we do it? Go, I want to bring people in. I want to not be so concerned about having everything covered and sorted out where I have all the right answers before I can let people in. I want to be a disciple who's making, disciple who's going actively. Example and invitation. Let's stop reacting to what's going on around us and start building a better future for this church and the church as a whole. Jesus says, therefore go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. When you go and baptize someone you've been discipling, I'm telling you there's nothing quite like it. It will fire you up and stir you up and make you do this. I want to do more. When you watch someone come out of the water and come out and they're celebrating and you're going, I got to be a small part of this. What you start to do is go, how else can I do it? Who else can I impact? How do I shape and help people? How do I be a disciple who is making disciples? When you are actively serving others in your daily life or building relationships with unchurched people or giving sacrificially, you find yourself covered in the dust of your rabbi. We are not about discipleship to just become better disciples. We are about being disciples who make disciples. When Jesus says, teach these disciples to obey the commands that I've given you, that that's what we get to do. We get to help other people to obey these commands. Even the commands that we struggle with, even the commands that we don't really like. This following Jesus is daily death to ourselves and our preference for Jesus' way of life, his rule, and his reign in us. It's us going, not my will, but your will. And as you teach me, I want to teach other people and help them to obey. And then Jesus concludes with this. Just, and be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Though Jesus might not be with us in bodily form, he is with us to the end. In every single moment, whether we feel him or not, he is close. As a church, I, I, I want to make no secret about it, we want to reach people. But we want to be the kind of church that has people who are reaching people through the week. That it's not just about a Sunday to Sunday thing, that it is an act of church. Disciples making disciples. We exist as a church to make it all about people seeing Jesus. And people see Jesus through us. Through our lives lived out. As we invite them into our everyday life. They get to see Jesus at work. We are invited right now into this holy moment as a church. To be disciples who make disciples. And I want you to know from a high level as a church, we're going to work really hard to make sure we leverage that moment well, equip us where we need to, help us and challenge us to walk this out, to take what this moment represents, this cultural convulsion, and see people come to faith as a result of it. We want to plant churches. We want to launch campuses. We want to We want to be a church that is thinking about how do we continue to reach people, but at the very center of it has to be an army of people who are making disciples. And so in a moment of upheaval and tumult, in a a moment where things seem to be so unsettled and challenging, the church, I believe, that is centered around Jesus will thrive. And the question becomes, will you be part of it? Some of you in the room, you go, I I need to become a disciple. You need to find someone that's ahead of you, that can help you, that you can be part of their normal everyday life and see what it actually looks like as a disciple. Some of you who have kids, you need to actually own the responsibility. You are the primary discipler of your kids. They're the ones, they see you every single day living this out. Are you discipling your kids or are you thinking someone else will do it? No one else is coming. It's you. Maybe you're in here and you go, I I need to make disciples. I've been a Christian that has grown, but I've never actually invited anyone else in. Maybe that's what you need to do. Or maybe it's some hybrid of the two. That you go, "I I need to be more of a disciple and I need to make disciples. I need people that are investing in me and people that I am investing into. I believe that that's the goal for us as Christians. Thinking about who's investing in me and who am I investing in. I believe wholeheartedly that there are incredible things on the horizon for us as collective church. I see this church of disciples who are making disciples, living for the sake of others, making disciples who make disciples. And you and I can be part of it. God, I pray that in these moments, as we gather as we're reminded that our invitation is go and make disciples, that we also see your, you see your son giving this example invitation. God, I pray that we would not settle for watching other people make a difference, and not just on Sunday, but every single day of the week. Let us be a church that is mobilized to reach your kids that are lost and hopeless and helpless without you. God, all the narratives that are around us are insufficient outside of you. God, we need you. Change us. Lead us. Guide us. In Jesus' name, amen. If you'd like more information on Collective Church, find us on social media at This Is Collective Church or reach us on our website, collectivechurch.ca. Thank you for listening, and we hope to see you Sunday.